Well, it really is. I mean, it really is an honor to be here. Lori and I, we love what God is doing down in Belmont, and we love the church family that is there, but it is so good every once in a while to be able to come back and to spend time in worship and open God's word together with you. And so we're going to do that over the next few moments together. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7. So you can, if you have a Bible or you want to grab one from the seat in front of you or you want to open up your Bible app, you can go there and then we'll read those verses together. If you've been with us over the years at Mount Hope or if you were with us last week, then you know that we are in a series that's somewhat similar to what we do every year in the month of January. There's certain things, certain foundational things, certain fundamental things That no matter how long you've walked with Jesus Christ or how long you've called yourself a Christian, we all need to come back to. Things we need to review over and over again. And it's not unlike other things in this world. Uh, If you went to see a professional musician or you went to hear a professional singer, if you went to see the Boston Pops, that orchestra would warm up. The individual musicians would warm up with the same scales and warm-ups that they've been using their entire career. And if you went to a professional athletic event, if you went to the playoff game this afternoon, the Patriots would go out onto the field and they would stretch and they would throw the ball and they would practice the same fundamentals that they've been practicing practicing since they began playing the game. And our Christian walk is just like that. There are certain fundamentals that no matter how long we walk with the Lord and no matter how deep we go in our understanding and relationship with him, we have to get back to these things. It's like shooting free throws or taking batting practice. We need to do these things over and over again. And so we come back to these things. And this year, it's a little bit different because we're not just talking about those fundamental things. We're also talking about them in in this broader aspect of defining who we are, not just as followers of Jesus Christ, but very specifically here at Mount Hope. Who are we? Who are we as the body of Christ at Mount Hope? What defines us? What do we want to be known by? What's going to guide the way that we worship and the way that we live? And last week, if you were with us, We talked about uh, the Bible and its importance in our lives. And if you look at that uh, connection card that you have and you look at the sermon notes section, the statement that we used is right there on the card. The statement that defines who we are. And we said this about the Bible. We said, we do not change the Bible to fit our lives. We change our lives to fit the Bible. And I think that statement is extremely important, and in our world, it's becoming more and more important. Because you could go to one church, and that church could say, read your Bible. You can go to another church, and that church could say, read your Bible, but they actually mean two very different things. One means, read the Bible, it's the Word of God. Another means, read the Bible, it's a great self-help book. And you need to be clear on what we believe the Bible is, is the authoritative word of God and the part that it plays in our life. We do not come to the Bible with our preconceived notions and ideas and plans and make the text fit what we have already decided is right in our minds. Rather, we, this defines us as Christians here at Mount Hope, we come to the text and allow the Bible, God through his Holy Spirit working inside of us to change our lives to fit what he says is true and right, and that's important to be clear on that. 
And today we're going to move on to another fundamental principle. And in much the same way, we're going to talk about its importance a little bit in the Christian life, but then talk about something that's very specific to what we believe is important for our community here at Mount Hope, who we are here. And to get us there, we're going to look at what Paul, the Apostle Paul, a guy who lived about 2,000 years ago, who uh, was someone who hated followers of Jesus, who became a follower of Jesus himself, ended up planting multiple churches and wrote over half of the New Testament. He wrote a number of letters to churches that he planted. And in one of those letters to a church in a city, an ancient city called Philippi, Paul says something in Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 that is incredibly important. And something that we need to come back to again and again. If you've been in church for a while, uh, if you buy Christian signs from Hobby Lobby or a cross stitch or buy quilts with verses on them, you probably know these verses. You've heard these verses before. But these are ones we should come back to over and over and over again. Because I don't know about you, but no matter how many times I hear these verses, the ability to embrace them and live them out in my life eludes me to some extent. And so I believe that even if you've heard these verses many times before, God has something new to say to you today, and I'd encourage you to listen to his spirit. This is what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you read a book on an Amazon Kindle, or if you read a book digitally that you've, present, that you've bought from Amazon, I just found this out recently, uh, and it freaks me out, to be honest with you. Amazon tracks the passages that you highlight. And they do it for all the people who read books across the Kindle. Does that kind of make you nervous? Makes me nervous. That Jeff there, Jeff knows exactly what we're highlighting in our books. But, but they track this and they actually recently released uh, some of their findings as to the most highlighted passages in different books. And so they did some contemporary uh, popular books. They had the Hunger Games and they had Harry Potter. And then they did some classic books, Pride and Prejudice and other books like that. But they also, when they released all these findings, they also included the Bible. Now, if I was to guess or you were to guess what the most highlighted verses in the Bible were, I might guess something like Psalm 23. I might guess something like 1 Corinthians 13 because it's read at every wedding. I might guess something like John 3.16. But wouldn't you know the most highlighted verses in the Bible were the verses that we just read? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the God of peace and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now the question is why? Why these verses? Why would these be the verses out of all the other things? Why not for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Why not the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Why these verses? Why do not be anxious about anything? Well, we probably don't have to think that long to realize and understand that We live in an anxious culture. We live in an anxious society. 
This is a growing problem. I probably don't need to go too much into explaining that to you. You know this is true. You know it in yourself. You watch it in your coworkers. You watch it in your neighbors. You watch it in your children. In fact, this is a huge problem among college students right now in the United States. Crippling anxiety among students is a, is a big problem. In fact, the, the Association for College Health, which I, I learned is a thing, uh, they reported that in 2016, 62% of college students reported overwhelming anxiety to the point that they found it crippling and couldn't do certain things. And the big reason why is because they felt like they had never done enough. There was always something else to do. Another bill to play, another class to take, another post to respond to, another thing to read. There was never enough that they had done. And it led to this anxiety. Last summer, it's not just college students, it's all of us. Last summer, uh, 2018, Barnes & Noble uh, released a report that said the largest growing genre of books by far in their corporation across all online and in their stores are books related to anxiety. In fact, from the summer of 2017 to the summer of 2018, those sales of those books went up 26%. And get this, $42 billion a year in the United States is spent specifically treating anxiety. It's a third of all spending for psychiatric care. And that doesn't, this is separate from depression and other big ones like this. This is his own category. Anxiety alone, $42 billion is spent to treat this disorder. And all of us, right, even if, even if it may not be diagnosed clinically, all of us know what this is like to struggle with anxiety and worry, to be up in the middle of the night staring at the ceiling, not sure exactly how things are going to turn out and how things are going to all work. There are all sorts of things to be worried about in this world. This world is unsteady, this world is ever-changing, and this world is unpredictable, isn't it? There's so much to be worried about and anxious about when our, with our jobs. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're not sure how you're going to pay that bill uh, that's coming in the mail or you already have it or you know it's coming and you're not sure exactly how it's going to get paid and that's creating all sorts of anxiety and worry within you. Some of you are dealing with some sort of diagnosis that the doctors have given you or a loved one and it's creating all sorts of worry and anxiety. Some of you sitting right here, you know that tomorrow you have to walk back into your classroom, into your your middle school or your high school or your college classroom, and that enough is enough to create all sorts of anxiety. Some of us, a semester is about to begin, and you're not sure how you're going to pay for it or how you're going to get all the work done. And there's so much in this world to be worried about, isn't there? When is the phone going to ring or when are you going to get that text? The decisions your children are making, the decisions your spouse is making, All these things to be worried about. And it's not just the big things, it's the little things too, right? Will the Patriots win this afternoon? I don't know. Some of us are anxious about this. What are we going to eat? I didn't plan lunch and the family's going to come home and and we're not going to have anything to eat. Some of you are worried how you're going to pay for the donation you just got strong-armed into about 10 minutes ago, right? (laughs) It's not just the big things, it's the little things too that worry us and we're anxious The world's changed too, right? The world's changed in many of our lifetimes where it 
seems like there's more to worry about than there, there used to be. I mean, I'm not trying to belittle, I'm not trying to belittle anything, but it's, but it's just true. I, we live in a world now where planes have flown into buildings and bombs have gone off at the, at the finish line of a marathon, and that's just different. It's just different. And in the middle of all that, there's supposed to be this, this, this government that protects us, and it's, it's shut down. And there's a lot that's unsure, a lot to worry about. So Paul, our good friend Paul from 2,000 years ago, Paul comes in and he says to us, in the middle of all of this stuff, our kids, our finances, uh, an uncertain world, all of the things that are happening, Paul just comes in and he says very simply to us, don't be anxious about anything. That's it. Wouldn't it be great if it was that easy? Paul comes in and says, don't be anxious. Don't worry about all that stuff. Your friends, the posts, the stuff that's on social media, all that stuff, don't be worried. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious about any of that. And we look at Paul and, and somewhere inside of us, we're like, well, that's easy for you to say, Paul, uh, Mr. First Century. You know, you're not worried about changing interest rates affecting your mortgage. You're not worried about the bill that's coming in the mail. You're not worried about, about what's being posted online. It's not like Paul used to say things and people would get mad, but he wasn't posting them on Twitter and the entire world was getting mad. And so we might look at Paul and we would say to Paul and the people living in Philippi in the first century, it's easy for you to say, don't be anxious about anything. Great, thank you, Paul. We'll take that to heart. But let me remind you that Paul and the people that he's writing to had plenty to be worried about. Do you know where Paul's writing this letter from? Paul is writing this letter from prison, Roman prison. I've never been to Roman prison, but from what I've read in books, I don't ever want to go there. Paul is in some dirty, dark, damp, dungeon-like facility chained to the wall or chained to bars or chained to something. And in the middle of that, he is writing to himself and to other Christians who, by the way, are fearing for their life daily because if they follow Jesus Christ in the Roman world, they're going to be killed. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. And the question that comes up here is, okay, Paul, well, then what do you want us to do? What's your secret? That would be great. Because I know if I was stuck in prison for my faith and I had no idea when I was getting out, when I was going to see my family, if I was going to get enough food for the day to live, and if they were going to walk into my cell and in my life at any moment, I might be worried about a few things. I might be anxious about a few things. And Paul comes into that and he comes into your life and to my life and he says, don't be anxious about anything, anything. So what do we do? Well, Paul tells us at the very end what we do instead. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. And then if you skip to the end of those two verses, he gives you the alternate, alternative thing. He says, instead, let the peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything, but instead, let the peace of God, the peace of God which passes all understanding, surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. All the things you're worried about today, Do you think God's in heaven worried right now? 
Do you think God's in heaven right now biting his fingernails wondering how this all turns out? Do you think that God is concerned as to, as to how your story is going to end or how you're going to get things done? A couple weeks ago, uh, my wife and my kids and I, we went to visit my family uh, in Nebraska. And uh, we went, we actually left on Christmas Day and we came back New Year's Day here to Boston. And I know what you're thinking. Uh, who would want to fight the crowd of tourists in Nebraska at the end of December? But we did it. We did it just to see my family. And uh, when we were flying back into Boston, this was a couple of Tuesdays ago on New Year's Day, the pilot came on about 45 minutes left in the flight into Boston here, and he said what is one of my least favorite announcements uh, in an airplane. I don't know how you feel about planes, um, but when a pilot says something like this, I just, it just doesn't sit well. You know, he got on the horn and he said, uh, just a couple of minutes, we are uh, going to start our descent into Boston. It's going to be a little choppy, a little choppy, a lot of high winds, and, uh, but we'll get you down there safely in a few minutes. Thanks. That is my least favorite announcement on a plane. That's the last thing. I, I don't want to hear choppy. I don't want to hear wind gusts. I don't want to hear turbulence. I don't want to hear any of that stuff. I just, this is my biggest thing. When I'm on an airplane, I don't want my plane to be on the news, good or bad. I just want to very anonymously get on a plane, fly, and just get there. I don't want any, any sort of commotion. So he says this is going to be choppy and bumpy on the way down. And I, I just don't like it, you know. It starts bouncing around, and I'm, you know, trying to be strong for my kids, but but uh, it's, it's tough for me sometimes. So I was reading an article just recently, and I think it was a business insider, and it was a pilot talking about turbulence on the plane. He said, you know, pilots get together and laugh how passengers react over turbulence because pilots have a perspective and an understanding that passengers don't have, and that is that wind gusts and air pockets don't make planes go down. They don't. It's just like a bumpy road, and you just keep going. So he said, when passengers are in the back, white-knuckling the handrest, thinking that this is their final moment, and they picture the pilots in the cockpit sweating profusely and holding onto the joysticks, he says, really, the pilots are sitting there talking about what they had for breakfast that morning, perfectly calm. And I think that's how it is with God many times. God looks down, and we are just losing our minds over all sorts of stuff. I mean, what's going to happen today? What's going to happen tomorrow? How is this all going to work out? And God, who sees from a much larger perspective, who is, exists outside of our time and space, who created it all and knows how it's all going to end, is sitting there perfectly calm. That's his peace. And Paul says to you, it's available to you. That where you are anxious about everything, there is a peace of God that is available to you. And by the way, this peace passes all understanding, surpasses all understanding. So that what this peace does for you is that this peace of God allows you to look at your current circumstances, which may seem very bleak, which may seem very bleak, and be able to say, I'm trusting God in all of this. Even though it looks like it's not going to work out, even though I don't understand how it's going to work out, even though the whole world looks like it's against me, uh, the peace of God surpasses my understanding. 
And Paul said the other thing that it does for us is that it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And can't you see Paul sitting in that prison cell, looking through the bars or the cracks in the door, whatever it might have looked like, and seeing the guards stationed outside his prison cell and writing to these people in Philippi, looking at those guards, just like these guards are stationed here to stop things from coming in or going out. So the peace of God stands guard at the, at the door of my heart and my mind, not allowing those things to get in, but allowing my mind and my heart to be ruled by him. I mean, think about it. where does anxiety come from? It comes from your mind. It comes from our thoughts. It comes from those times when the house is dark and quiet and we can't sleep and we're thinking, 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 how is it going to work? How is it going to happen? What are we going to do? It comes from our heart, our emotions, the way we react to things. When we hear bad news or we hear something that's going on or we don't get the answer that we wanted or we're surprised by something, our emotions start going and anxiety builds and worry builds. And Paul says, this peace that God has that is available to you, not only does it allow you to look past your current circumstances, it also stands guard at the door of your heart and at the door of your mind, protecting you from those things. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound nice? Wouldn't you love to be able to live like that? I would love to be able to live like that. So the question then still, Paul, is how? All right, Paul, I want it. I would love not to be anxious about anything. I would much rather have the peace of God rule in my heart and my life. But how? And Paul tells you how right in the middle of the verses. Look at what he says. He says there in those verses, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And this is what Paul says. Paul says the road from anxiety to peace is paved with prayer. The road from anxiety to peace. If you want to go from a place of anxiety about anything to a place with peace in everything, Paul says the road from anxiety to peace is paved with prayer. See, here, here's how most of us deal with prayer. Most of us deal with prayer this way. Prayer is very reactive in our life. We wait until things are at a place where we have no idea how they're going to be taken care of. And then in that moment, we go before God and we say something like, God, I have no idea how this is going to happen. And if you don't do this, I'm in huge trouble here. Now, that's not necessarily wrong. We could find plenty of places in this book where people came to God in desperate situation and God answered their prayer. However, I think they probably still dealt with a whole lot of anxiety and worry. And what Paul's talking about here is how do we replace anxiety in our life with the peace of God in our life? And Paul says you got to replace the anything with everything. Rather than being anxious about everything, anything, you need to pray in everything. Where most of us are very reactive in prayer, prayer becomes something like, like a Hail Mary at the end of a football game where we say, I don't know how this is going to work. I'm losing here. So all right, God, help me. And hopefully he does. Sometimes he does. But Paul here is calling us to something different. Paul is calling us to a very proactive prayer life. 
Not just waiting until everything is a mess and everything's in trouble, but Paul is asking us to do all of those things, the little things, to pray in everything. And then he says, we'll have the peace that God offers. It's kind of like the the couple that's been married for a while. And when they dated... They did all the little things that make you fall in love. They wrote notes to each other and gave each other gifts and they dated each other and they did all of those little things and they fell in love. And then they got married and they were working and they had kids and they got, they got super busy. And they stopped doing all of those things. And so now they find themselves at the marriage counselor with the whole relationship hanging by a thread. And they're saying to the counselor, if you don't do anything, if you can't help us fix this, uh, this is it for us. And that's how many of us treat prayer. And the counselor would say to that couple, you need to go back to doing the things that you did before. The little things. Proactively doing those things. Showing each other love and caring for one another and respecting each other throughout your day. And Paul's telling us the same thing about prayer. You want to experience the peace of God in your life on a daily basis? You need to stop just throwing up Hail Marys at the end of the day. And you need to very proactively in everything that you do, spend time with God in prayer. Now the question is, how do you do that? Well, here's one suggestion I would make to you. If you were to read articles or books on creating new habits or behaviors in your life, one of the things they might talk about are something that are called implementation triggers, meaning that you want to do the new behavior, and so you find things that you're already doing in your life that trigger you to to do the new behavior. Many of us already have one of these in our lives with prayer. When we put food on a table and we sit down in a chair, we pray before we eat. We've trained ourselves with that trigger. If I'm about to eat, I pray before I eat. My question for you today is, where are the other places in your life? If we're talking about doing this in everything that we do, where are the other places in your life where you could train yourself to pray? There's all sorts of things that we all do every single day. And maybe for you, it's you say, when I put toothpaste on my toothbrush, I stop and pray as I start the day. When I start my car, I don't go anywhere until I spend a couple of minutes in prayer. Every time I get on the elevator at work, I pray. And then when I get on the elevator again for lunch, I pray. And then when I get on the elevator again at the end of the day, I pray. There's something in your life that can become a trigger in your life so that you begin praying more. And if you do it enough, many of us are just trained. I sit down to eat a meal, I just pray. I just do it. I don't even think about it. And so where in your life could you build in these sort of triggers so that prayer does become something that you do every single day? And I think Paul very helpfully reminds us that prayer is not just coming before God and asking him to do the things that we want him to do. Paul says that that there's prayer where we come before the Lord in his presence and then there's supplication, which is a part of prayer and that's asking God for what we need. But we should do it all with thanksgiving, Paul says. That we're coming into God's presence, thanking him for who he is, adoring him for who he is. Many of us find the acronym ACTS helpful to keep us from just coming before God with a laundry list of things that we want or need. And ACTS stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. And that's a good framework to have. So when I sit in the car and I turn it on, before I go anywhere, I adore God for who he is. I confess to God that I have fallen short, that I have sinned. I'm thankful for who he is, the grace that he offers. 
And God, today, in my work, in my school, this is what I, I'm asking you for. Paul says, you do that, and all of a sudden, everything starts to change. Perspective changes. The way you look at things changes. All of a sudden, all those things that you were anxious about, all of a sudden, all those things that you were worried about begin to fade away. Not because you have a good grasp on it, because you are reminded that God has a good grasp on it. Here is what defines us at Mount Hope when it comes to prayer. And I think God calls us to in his word. Prayer for us is our first priority, not a last resort. Prayer is our first priority, not a last resort. You see, for many of us, quite frankly, we think that when it comes to our spiritual walk with God, that there are way more important things to do than pray. That we need to be busy with actual work. Prayer is is a nice thing sometimes, but when it comes to our faith, we need to be busy with actual work. And I love what Oswald Chambers, the great uh, pastor theologian Oswald Chambers, wrote about prayer. He said this about prayer. Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. That the ability to come into God's presence and spend time with him any time that you want to is the greater work. It's not just something that we do so that God will bless what we're doing. And many a times, people, we treat prayer like it's something to get through so we can do the next thing. Let's pray so we can eat. Let's pray so we can close this service and get out of here. Let's pray so that we can go on and do the thing. But Oswald Chambers is saying, and Paul is saying to us, if you want to move from a place of anxiety in your life to a place of great peace in your life, then prayer isn't something that you just try to get through. Prayer isn't something that's a last resort. Prayer is something that's a first priority in everything you do. And this is how Oswald Chambers finishes this quote. I think this is incredibly convicting. We refuse to pray unless it thrills and excites us. We refuse to pray unless it thrills and excites us, which is the most intense form of spiritual selfishness. We must learn to work according to God's direction, and God says to pray. We refuse to pray unless it thrills and excites us. Man, that's so true. (laughs) This daily discipline of coming into God's presence and praying We'll go after the thing that, that it thrills us and excites us before we'll do that. And they're not necessarily bad things. But let me give you an example. Most pastors know that if you want to plan a meeting where no one will attend, if you want to plan a meeting and have no one show up so you can go home early, call it a prayer meeting. That's the truth. You want to have a meeting that's not well attended? Call it a prayer meeting. Not a lot of people will show up. If this Tuesday night I said to you, hey, we booked a special guest speaker, and it's Tim Tebow, fresh off his new engagement. He's going to come and he's going to talk to us. You think we'd have a problem filling the room? No? The room would be packed. In fact, we'd tell everybody, don't tell anybody, because we wouldn't be able to handle all the people that would want to come. But if I told you that, hey, Tuesday night's the prayer meeting, Plenty of good seats would be available if you're just driving around the building. And all of a sudden, all of us that had time to be here on Tuesday, all of a sudden don't have time to be here on Tuesday. 
And the question is, I'm not trying to guilt people into showing up at the prayer meeting. The question is why? Why would we make time for one over the other? And I would say Oswald Chamber has it right. We can see how the one would thrill us and excite us, but we can't see how the other one would do that for us. Paul says what you're sacrificing is the peace of God in your life. You're trading that for anxiety and worry, not being willing to spend daily time in God's presence in prayer. Sometimes I, I play board games with my kids. And I gotta be honest with you. Sometimes I just want that game to end. Because I need to go do something else, right? They're having a blast with the game. I just want the game over because I, I, we gotta cut the grass or we gotta go pay the bills or I gotta work on the sermon or whatever it is. And I just, so I'll cheat a little to let them win. I'll, I'll try to move the game along in some sort of, oh no, you get two rolls, you know, you get two times this time. <laughs> Just to move it along so we can get to the bigger work. But do you know what I, I, I am? I'm like, I, I'm sacrificing the greater work. The greater work is actually right in front of me. Bills can wait. I can do work a different time. But yet I have my child in front of me. And me investing my time and my child in that moment is the greater work. And I have to be reminded of that. The same happens with prayer. Like, let's get through the prayer, let's, let's get this over with, or let's skip the prayer so that we can go on to the real work of singing a song or giving clean water to people or doing whatever it is that we're doing at the church, sending the kids to the retreat, and we're missing the work itself. The work that promises to replace all the anxiety and worry in our life with the peace of God. And here is how it works. You're going to go into your week this week and something is going to happen that is going to threaten the peace of God in your life with worry and anxiety. And you're going to open up the mail and there's going to be a bill there that you don't know how to pay. And all of a sudden, anxiety and worry is going to flood your heart and your mind. But because you've spent daily time in God's presence, praying in his spirit, you're reminded that God built it all, created it all, owns it all, and will provide for everything that you need. And then the doctor is going to come and tell you or someone close to you that there's a diagnosis that you don't know what to do with. And worry is going to flood your heart and your mind. But because you spent time in God's presence, you're going to remember that our God is a healer and sustainer, and even death itself cannot separate us from the love of God because our God is eternal. And then someone's going to post something online about you that's going to fill you with all sorts of doubt and, and all sorts of feelings of, of incompleteness and insecurity. And then because you've spent time in God's presence, you are going to remember that your identity and your worth comes not from what anyone in the world says about you or what they carelessly post online, but the God who made you and created you and in whose image you are made. And if you don't spend that time daily in God's presence, all of those messages go away and your heart is not guarded by the peace of God and worry and anxiety begin to flood in. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? If you could live 2019 anxiety free. Paul says it's possible. And he says it's possible in the face of circumstances that are dire and bleak. He says it's possible from a Roman jail cell. 
And the way to experience it is for you in your life to make prayer not an act of last resort, but an act of first priority. I'm going to invite our worship team up to the front as we close this morning. We have an opportunity this morning to practice this together. As our worship team plays and we sing and worship God, there are going to be elders at the front of the church. And maybe you walk in this morning with something on your heart and something on your mind. You're worried or anxious about something. We want to pray with you. We want to come before God with you and lay that at his feet and trust him with it. So while we're singing and worshiping, you'll come and you pray with our elders. Maybe you just want to come and kneel at this altar and spend time in prayer with God. Maybe it's been too long. It's been too long since you've spent real time in God's presence praying and seeking his face. You say thank you for this food before you eat it, but it's been a long time. It's been too long. Since you spent time in God's presence, so this morning you'd come and you'd kneel at this altar with us and you would spend time praying before the Lord. Maybe what you need to do right now is take that card that you have in front of you and you need to write down what your trigger is gonna be this week to remind you to pray. Every time I get up and make my coffee, I pray. Every time I get in the car, I pray. Every time uh, I'm with my children, we pray. Whatever that trigger is for you. This isn't just for us, by the way. Imagine what an overly anxious, worrisome, uncertain, uncontrollable world would think. If in the midst of all their crippling anxiety, they looked at the Christians who followed Jesus Christ, who were proactively praying in their life so that the peace of God ruled their life, how much would they want the gospel of Jesus Christ if they saw followers of Jesus Christ living in that sort of freedom that God provides? What might God do through us at Mount Hope if we were within our communities, not worried about this world or whatever it throws at us because we knew that God was truly in control? Wouldn't the people around us, our family members, our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors, our classmates, want that too? I'd invite you, if you would, would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray briefly for us, and then let's spend some time together in prayer. Let's not waste this moment that we have. Let's start our year off together right. God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to come into your presence, to be able to come into your presence and have access to you. It's only because of your grace and of your mercy that we have access to the living God. And so, Lord, thank you. And Lord, would you forgive us for the times that we have gone and done things that did not matter. And we've neglected the chance that we had to spend time in your presence. Oh God, would you call us back? And we would make prayer a first priority in our lives. And thank you that as we do, your peace will take over. Meet us in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.